Welcome to another episode of Online Dating with Patsy, the podcast. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. Today, I have a very good but scary episode to share with you. Um, This is Lucy I'm going to be interviewing, and she has a very scary online dating story. So pay attention. Lucy, welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be able to tell my story. Yes. So go ahead, start at the beginning and tell us your story. And if something pops up in my head during your story, I'll let you know. (laughs) Okay. I um, was in a very long marriage, had two wonderful children. And after 20 some odd years, found myself single again. So I was single for about two years and with some prompting from good friends, I went on the internet and hoped to find the real true love of my life. So, of course, I ran into the people that, you know, are scammers and, you know, don't know where they're from, can't understand what they're saying. And so a couple of months into it, I started talking to someone that presented themselves as down to earth, hardworking, not a lot of money. It wasn't a big deal to me, but was a hard worker and talked to me like I was a real person. And I would say probably two or three months went by of just chatting. We did talk on the phone. At the time, there wasn't a lot of video, so I, I wasn't able to see this person, but um, we did agree to meet in person. So it had probably been two or three months. And this person lived about uh, two hours away from me. So we decided to meet at a public place that um, I actually knew people that worked at the establishment. So I felt protected and um, we met and it was the person. It was the person in the picture. And I got a very warm, comfort- comforting feeling. Um, he was just really great. And so after that meeting, I felt promised that, I, you know, things might go a little further. So um, because he did live not so close, we saw each other maybe two or three times. And then he kind of disappeared. And I thought, oh, well, you know, this isn't good. Well, about two or three months later, he came back into my life and said that he had a family emergency and he had to travel far away from where we were living. And he just couldn't contact me. So I, um, and this was through a dating website, which I don't think is in existence anymore. So, um, that's how he contacted me again the second time. So I thought, okay, you know, people lose their phone, lose numbers. I I didn't think a lot about it, but I was cautious. So another few months went by and we met a couple more times and we actually started talking about moving in together. And I, had a nice little house that I was running and I had a roommate and I, you know, I said, you know what, you can just move in here with me. And so he did. And within a week he had a job at that same restaurant. We met the first time my friends got him hired. He was a hard worker. He paid half the bills. He cooked for me. He cleaned. He helped me take care of the animals. I had a couple dogs. Um, he brought a dog. Um, it was good. And my roommate moved out so we could have our own time together because we were starting a relationship. Um, he met my family, met my kids, met my friends. Everybody loved him. And so we lived together for about six months. Well, my mom was far away from me and she had lost her second husband a few months earlier. And I wasn't in a real stable job. So 
I told her, I had talked to him about it and we decided to move several thousand miles away to take care of her and help her. She was 82 at the time. So my daughter and I, and this person packed all my stuff, all his stuff, and off we went. Well, about a week after we moved in with my mom, my daughter left to go back home and everything changed. I was looked at in a way that I didn't know when people say somebody has dark behind their eyes. Well, this was dark. And the first incident, I mean, I knew he was acting different, but then the first time he hit me, he slapped me across the face, open-handed and said, things are going to change. And boy, did they, my life became a nightmare. I was in the middle of nowhere. We did not live in a place where there was a community. It was a very small town. We were 50 miles from anyone. And all of the people, there was probably four residents in the area that were close enough to walk to were all elderly. They were like my mother. And so the first thing he did was threaten my mother's life. And that's how he kept me quiet. And the aggression became not only physical, but verbal and his actions were terrible. He started telling me things that he had done in his past and what he wanted to do in his future. And it all was bad. And I wasn't sure what to do. So I started, I, I found that he had locked a box in a garage with a key. And so I knew there had been something in there that was going to give me an indication of what was going on. And I really, I hadn't told anybody what was going on. Well, one night, it, it probably been a month into us living there. Um, he hit me in the face and broke my orbital bone. So I ran into the bathroom. I had my cell phone with me. I flipped a picture and I sent it to my best friend who was in the town I came from. And she sent the picture to her brother, who was a sheriff in another state. That brother contacted our sheriff's department in the town I was living in. Well, at the time, I had investigated what happens in domestic violence cases in this town. And the only thing they did was take the person to jail for 48 hours to let them cool down. No fingerprinting, no nothing. And so I was scared to call anybody because I knew that he would be out again. And he'd already threatened to kill my mother and I and my daughter. And so um, I was outside. My brother was visiting from another city for the weekend. And I was outside and the police showed up and it was from the call that my friend's brother made. Well, I had a big dog and he was not on a leash. So I ran out, grabbed the dog confronted the police officer far enough away from him to not know what was going on. And he saw my face and I said, which was black at the time. And he, and, and he said, which one? And I said, you can't arrest him right now because you're going to let him out and he's going to kill me and my mother. My brother doesn't live here. He's going to be gone tomorrow. And then I'm going to have to take her to a shelter. And I, I didn't know what to do. So um, he left not happy. He wanted to arrest him, but he couldn't because I wasn't going to press charges. 
So I started doing my investigation and I, I know it was, it, it was probably not in my best interest at the time to not ask for help, but I was scared that I wouldn't be helped the way I needed to be helped. And so I got into the box and I found several different IDs. Oh, I want to go back to their initial meeting. I asked him to bring me identification, proof of who he was. I got a birth certificate, a social security card, a bank card, and an ID. A draw, a, 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 it was a driver's license of the state I was in. It, it looked valid. Everything looked valid. So I thought I had the proof of who this person was. Well, I was wrong. So I found all these identifications. I found all this stuff. I ran in the house. I made copies of everything. I hid all that. I put all the stuff back in the box, locked the box. Well, I still didn't have anything on him to have him arrested so that they would fingerprint him. And um, about another month went by and he started to grow marijuana, which in the state we are in is a big, big no-no. So that was my out. Um, I planned it. My brother came up that weekend. I pulled him aside. I told him what was happening. And surely that night, he the man was an alcoholic and whenever he would get drunk is when he would hit me. And that night he started hitting me and I got my brother to call 911. The police came out. They couldn't find him that night. He had run because we lived in the middle of nowhere, but they did find him the next day because he actually came back to the house to try to get me to drop the charges or stop the police or whatever he wanted. I don't know. Well, <clears throat> when they got him into the jail, um, I gave them all the information that I had found. So it took about maybe three. Oh, well, let me go back really quick. The day they arrested him, um, of course, the whole story came out. And, you know, my mother, she was suffering from dementia at the time. So it was hard for her to understand. And she loved him because he treated her well. She had no idea what was happening behind the scenes because I didn't want her to. So when everything came out and they arrested him, um, it was really hard. It, it was really difficult. Well, we had gone to visit some friends just to get our mind off things. We got home and there was a message on the recorder from him from jail. Well, right then and there, I knew, well, this isn't going to protect me. So I called the sheriff's office and I said, please stop him from calling me. And all their, their response was, we'll tell him not to do that again. And I thought, oh, this is crazy. Well, he had letters sent to me by inmates that were in with him. He actually had an inmate come visit me on the property to tell me to please drop the charges. And of course, I reported all this to the police, which they did nothing. Well, come to find out, this person was wanted in the state we came from on a blue warrant, which means that he had skipped his uh, probation and not reported to his probation officer ever. He had been in prison for capital murder for 20 years. He was put in at a very young age. He had murdered a person and he um, was given the death sentence. He was on death row. And apparently when he turned 18, they found out that there was something wrong in the sentencing phase. And so they retried him and they ended up giving him 60 years. Well, he served 20 and then got out. So um, I was floored. I didn't know what to do. And so the sheriff's office, the DA called me and said they were dropping all the charges in the state that I had taken him to. 
because he was wanted in the other state. And so they were going to extradite him. And there was no point in charging him with the marijuana charge or the domestic violence charge. However, if they had done that, he would still be in prison today. As it sits, um, he went back to the original state, got put back in prison for 10 years. Now he is out. He's been out for three years. He immediately found where I lived. Everybody thinks, oh, you can hide. Or if this person's in prison, they can't find your address. They can't find your information. Well, that's not true. And I was not on social media. I had shut down all my accounts on every single platform. I wasn't real big in it anyway. My children who were grown at the time shut down all their accounts because he knew them too, knew their last names, knew where they live. Um, it, it was terrifying. And so I was able to get a restraining order, which he has violated and he does have warrants out for his arrest, but he's out and he's running loose today. As we speak, he has not attempted to contact me or come to me in the last two years. Thank goodness. Um, but I'm prepared. I, I don't live one day without thinking I need to be careful here. I need to watch this. I talked to my daughter this morning about this whole incident and she said, mom, it affected all our lives. Everybody thinks that if you're getting scammed online, they want your money or whatever, but that might not be the case. This person infiltrated my life, my family's life, my children's lives, my friends' lives. And there was no way we had no idea, none. So I'll go back to when he was released. Um, somehow he got a birth certificate from another country, Guatemala, and they released him when he was out of prison. They sent him to that country. Within three months, he was in Mexico with a new identification. He sent me a picture of his new ID card with all his new information on it. I'm telling you, if you want to be somebody else, you can be. And there's no way to tell. <laughs> there's absolutely no way to tell. I just feel like people are so vulnerable, especially people that are lonely and they want to find love and they want to find somebody to help help spend their time with. I'm telling you, I, I got myself a dog and that's all I need right now. Um, the online thing is scary to me. And when I came across your live, I just think what you're doing is incredible to teach people to protect themselves at any cost. Your story, when you told it to me yesterday, I mean, I'm I'm even listening to it again. It still gives me chills and it makes me not want to date ever again. <laughs> um, let me ask you one question. Has North Carolina changed their stance on domestic abuse since this no. happened? No. <clears throat> Anybody in North Carolina listening, write your legislator. Something's got to be done. This is ridiculous. No. If they would have prosecuted him for the marijuana, which is a felony, um, it would have been on his record when he went back to Texas and he, they would have kept him for the remainder of his 40 year sentence, but because they wouldn't spend the money to prosecute him. Now he's out again. Oh and I can gosh. guarantee you he is scamming someone else. There is no doubt in my mind. Yes. No doubt. Yes. Now, after all this stuff happened and he was finally out of your life, 
What did you do to pull yourself back together, the pieces of your life? Well, I was fortunate that I complain about what the state did, but they also stepped up knowing I was taking care of my mother who had dementia because of the abuse. I suffered um, sight loss in my left eye and I was having problems with my right eye. Um, apparently, if you get hit enough times and you have a cataract, it, it exacerbates the process. And so I had a terrible cataract and terrible problems. Well, the state stepped in and they gave me eye surgery for free so that I could go back to school to take care of my mother, which was great. They paid for my schooling. I got a, I got a, um, actually Wells Fargo gave me a grant to pay for my schooling. And so I did get help. I got medical care. Um, they tested me for all the STDs. I was so lucky and so fortunate. I did not get a disease from him. If they am lucky and fortunate, of course, not that bad stuff that happened, but you know, you have to, you have to climb out. I had a responsibility to take care of my mother. I had a responsibility to show my children that because this mistake was made did not mean I was going to ruin my life. So it started the long process of mental healing, physical healing. And over the years, I have just decided that I am the only one that can take care of me. And so I have to do everything I possibly can to make things good. I moved my mother back to the state where my kids were and gave her a couple years. Her dementia got worse. She passed away four years ago. She was 89 and I got to keep her at home and hospice came in and it was fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I didn't want to lose her, but it really, I knew I had to give her something that I was not giving her. So I had to get my shit together. Excuse my language. So <laughs> okay. I, did. I did. And I feel, I feel like a whole person again. And like my daughter said this morning, mom, you need to tell people that this is not something that just happens to you. It happens more than we think it does. And the part of it, the domestic violence side is it is scary and you can't always get away right away. And it has to be a plan because they say the day you leave is the day you die sometimes. And so I'm very, very aware that people are shaking their heads saying, we well, should have got out right away. You should have gone to a shelter. You should have done this. But the thing was, is if he wasn't in, if he wasn't captured and he wasn't being um, prosecuted, somehow he was going to come back. And I knew that. So I, I didn't really have a choice but to do what I did. Yeah, this is this is just so scary. This is very scary. And I appreciate you sharing this. And I'm going to do my darndest to get people to listen to this because your story, I've, I've said this before, and this term is terrible, but it's best to hear it from the horse's mouth because yes. you've been through it. What advice would you give other women regarding online dating or any kind of dating? You know, I think it's really tough. I had all the information that I asked for. I had the ID, the social, I had it all right in front of me and it was all fake. I really don't know. I feel like if you, I don't know, there's, you know, background checks and all that stuff. I know there's, you had talked about a, 
uh, online um, facial recognition website. The dark, what is it? The Dark Horse. The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight. <laughs> yes. Dark, yeah, that's yeah. okay. It took me yeah, a couple days to remember it. <laughs> things like that, but you know what? Honestly, if I met somebody that I truly thought I wanted to spend time with. I think I'd ask him to walk in the police station with me and ask to be fingerprinted. Whether it's true or not, if they're willing to do that, that shows that they're not scared. Right, right. That's a good idea. I don't know. Put that on your dating profile, ladies. You must get fingerprinted. Exactly. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, because um, nowadays we've got the system in place where states go to states. And if a fingerprint is out there, hopefully, like for me, I'm fingerprinted fingerprinted by the FBI for my job. So I can't, I can't do anything without somebody knowing what I'm doing. Right. Well, I would want to date somebody just like me. If you're willing to give your fingerprints and get checked by the FBI, fine, then you can, you can talk to me, but other than that, forget it. That is an absolutely fantastic idea. I'm going to start talking about that on my lives, you know, and some people may not understand, but I'll be like, listen to this podcast episode and you will understand your local law enforcement. Ask them, look, I'm dating. And I think the guy's really nice. What do you suggest I do to make sure he's really who he says he is? See what they tell you. Yeah. You know, I, I live five minutes from my police station. They they know me. They have been out here. They take care of me. They know that it, if I call them, it is an emergency. I have never dialed 911 unless I need them. And it's not been very often. And he showed up on the driveway when he got out. And believe me, they were here. They didn't catch him. He, you know, but they were here. And that was a, a warrant that was issued on the restraining order. So they, they're they keeping up. They've got his new ID. They've got a copy of it. Do they know the name he's going through right now? You know, but yeah. no, anybody can put any picture on any ID. So that is just not a safe way to go anymore. No, no. It's so it's so sad. You know, the internet and social media, it has good and it has so much bad. And I think it's more bad than good. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Lucy, thank you so much for being on here and sharing this god-awful scary story. Um, but I'm hoping others will listen and be more cautious and well you know it has affected my life for the past 12 years so it's not just been a year it's a long journey and i'm winning and i'm going to continue to win and let me tell you what if he shows up at my house he won't be walking away i can guarantee you that and it's not a it it, it's just a back and the police know that too so thank you for letting me share if i can even help one person out there that's all this is about Right, right. Thank you so much, Lucy. And um, you are such a strong, awesome lady. And, Thank you. And we're going to get this out to as many people as I can. I'm, I live by a police station. I'm going to go over there this week and say, hey, you know, I just did this podcast. Is this something that can be done, you know, about yeah, the fingerprinting? Yeah. You know, just something I can share, at least in the St. Louis area, you know, and, um, and I send them my calendars and stuff every year. So they might be familiar with me. So I hope, (laughs) (laughs) but no, that was great information. Thank you so much. And you rock girl. That's all I can say. Thank you. Thank you. You too. So that's a different story that I shared on here. I've always shared the scammer stories. I've always shared the 
success stories of online dating. And this is one that started out really well and turned very, very scary. So when you approach online dating, be careful. Um, it's I just don't have the words to, to say anything about this because it's 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 freaked me out a little bit and i i hope that people can learn from lucy's story because it's a scary story but it's a very good story and when i'm on tiktok and people tell their scam stories i always like to remind them take what you've learned and share it with other people so that they don't do the same thing which is why Lucy wanted to share this story so that other women don't fall into this little scary ordeal that she went through. So um, I just like to remind you all that you're awesome. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And never send money to someone 